0: So last week, we kind of um, set the stage by talking about how a transition begins to happen as these trumpets are being blown. And as we've gone through the the trumpets, we've seen, you know, the ecosystem affected, the sea, the water, the fresh water, all affected. And then we all of a sudden, we, we have this moment where... Uh, remember last week, this eagle flies in the mid heavens, kind of in between heaven and earth, and begins to cry out. And remember the the word that the eagle uses three times in Greek is this word "ouai," which is uh, translated "woe." And uh, so a transition is going on when this eagle cries out, "Woe, woe, woe to the earth." relative to the three blasts of the trumpet that are yet to occur what the eagle is saying is that there there's something getting ready to happen that's much worse than anything we've seen before okay so up to this point in the revelation what we're recognizing is that that during during this period of time that I believe we're living in today okay always kind of keep this 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 time frame in mind when God looks at his watch his watch doesn't say his 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, his watch says there was a time, that's in the past, that's Old Testament, there is a time, that's right now, New Testament era, and there is a half a time, and then there's the end, that's, that's God's watch, okay, so I always tell people, we artificially create this, a sense of time, but the real time, if you look at the clock is, we're, we're in that second period of time that began with Jesus Christ coming into the world, his birth as a baby. We're we're transitioning towards what I believe is that half a time, where we will see that period marked by something catastrophic that takes place on, on earth. And so what's happened thus far in the revelation is he's been focusing pretty much on here are things you can expect to happen during this time frame that we're in. Natural, the the world's natural resources are very much affected, right? Men's love grows cold. Blood is spelt. All the horsemen are riding rampantly on the earth, and we see the effect of that. But all during this time period, God has been doing something that we can't see. In the spiritual realm, this battle is going on between fallen angels, right, God's Sabbath angels, his host of, of, of army, and you and me. We can't see the battle, but we experience it, very much so. Uh, when I talk seriously with Christians and, and ask them the question, have you ever sensed, sensed in your life the presence of angels before? Okay. I love the response because so many will come back to me and talk about times when, yes, I sensed the presence of an angel. Can you prove it? no do you believe it was true absolutely it's in the spiritual realm I can't see it in that same spiritual realm there are fallen angels I love to ask Christians this question have you ever sensed the presence of fallen angels in your life many will tell me stories yes I have Uh, this is when I really sensed that I was under a spiritual attack okay can you prove it no I can't prove it I sense it though okay So what we can't see but we know is absolutely a fact is that during this time frame that we're in what what God is doing is he is literally holding back not authorizing is the way I like to say it demons to to in, in a full force way come against us. Or even those who are outside the faith. So if you think about it, what's happening as we, we hear this these next series of trumpets blow is those restrictions that God has been placing upon the demons are loosened. And the demons are given more power to come against those who are outside of the faith. Now logically, we look at that and, and our logical minds ask the question, why God would you do that? I mean, uh, when, you, when you have the releasing of these first trumpets, everything in you says, just stop blowing those trumpets because every time you blow one, m- more bad stuff happens on planet Earth. And then you hear this, whoa, 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 and you want to shout to God, just stop. Don't blow the next trumpet. And he blows it. And he releases and authorizes demons to come against those outside of the faith. Do they come against those who are in the faith? Yes, they do. But remember, the Spirit of God is within you battling against those demons, right? And so uh, they're not able to separate you from Jesus Christ. They are not. But they torment those who are outside of the faith. And we ask the question, why? Well, here's the answer. And, And several of you at the end of last week asked me this question. You said, well... Pastor, are you saying that during this last period of time, those who are outside of the faith cannot be saved? No, we're not saying that. The opposite of that is true, okay? The reason that the demons are being loosed and they're actually creating more pain for people is because God knows our human hearts. We're stubborn. And some people will hang on to and hold on to their stubbornness and sin until they are so shattered, broken, that they look up one day and say, God help me. God help me. That's the purpose of this, is to bring people to that place where there there are no more answers for my life. Nobody has answers for my life. I am in massive pain. And so God help me. And when that turn happens, now the Spirit of God is able to work in that person's life. That's the purpose of these demons being released. When you look at the demons, uh, they're being described in a symbolic way to kind of help us understand how they work. All right. So just to kind of review a little bit, and we're in chapter number 9. And uh, the first word that we get in, in verse number 3 is the word locusts. All right, so... Um, all of these trumpet plagues that we see happening kind of have their imagery, their symbolism from the plagues that occurred on earth during the time frame where Israel was in captivity to Israel, uh, excuse me, to uh, Egypt. and, And Moses comes into Egypt and begins to unleash these plagues, so locusts is kind of the symbolism that we have for these uh, demons. Um, They're not just any kind of a locust, all right? Because they they look different. Verse number four, we're told that they're going to be given power to harm people, but not the grass of the earth or green plants or those who have the seal of God on their foreheads, all right? So again, the seal of God we've seen before represents the, the spirit is within you. You have faith. So they're not able to harm you. <clears throat> they are allowed to, verse number five, torment those who are not sealed for a period of five months, uh, but not to kill them. All right, that five months, I believe, symbolizes the fact that we're in that, now that next quadrant of time, we're in that half a time. Five being half of 10, and so there's a period of time, the first unloosing of the demons, where they're able to torment you, but not kill you, all right? In those days, we're told in verse number six, people will want to die. I just want to die. And they, death will elude them, all right? Um, now, go to verse number seven. What do the locusts look like? In appearance, if you look at them, The locusts look like horses prepared for battle. Just intentional language to take you back to the the four horses, right? To say to you that these four horses have been riding for some time. These are now demonic horses, all right? On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Okay, part of what you see throughout the Revelation is kind of interesting to me is the, the devil... And fallen angels always want to believe that they can overcome God even though they're cast down to earth even though they're fully under his authority they always want to masquerade as we're God we're the kings here now the interesting thing is when you look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 he actually says that there's a prince of this earth and so there's a sense in which the, 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 the devil has a crown placed upon his head in this domain. This particular crown is the king's crown. And so what he's saying is, I don't just want to be the prince of this world. I want to be the king. I want to have authority over human beings. Their faces are like human faces. Okay, what's, what we're symbolizing there, it, we're meant to say that uh, they come deceptively, Right? Demons do deceive us. They are smart, thus the human face. Okay? They have hair like a woman's hair. This is one of the things I love about uh, the Revelation is it paints a more accurate picture of, of demons than uh, most of us have grown up with in the Western world. Um, most of us have grown up with pictures of demons. When you picture one in your mind, what's the first kind of picture that comes to your mind? Something that's kind of yucky, right? Horns, maybe a tail, maybe a pitchfork. Remember back when you were like a little kid and you dress up for Halloween? Any of you ever want to dress up like a like a a devil or something like that? My kids never did. My my son always wanted to dress up like a girl. I'd be like, my goodness gracious, son, be Frankenstein or a ghost or something. It's going to be a girl, but he. That's what he wanted to be like. But you always, you know, ding dong, you open your door and you got some little kid dressed up like the the demons, the devil. When you think of Hollywood and how they portray demons, okay, probably the best portrayal I ever watched of a a demon uh, in any movie scene was um, in Indiana Jones. And uh, if you remember the very first installment where they're trying to find the Ark of the Covenant, And uh, so they finally, they find it, and they open it up. And when they open it up, these demons come out. And I don't know if you remember the first words of the the, the Germans who are looking at those demons as they come up. but the very first words they spoke was this, beautiful, beautiful. The hair of a woman, the face of a man. Smart, beautiful, okay. Deception never comes packaged in a way that the devil tries to sell you something that looks yucky. No. Okay? Always comes portraying what he's trying to sell you as something that is beautiful. Okay? I'll tell you where I think about this the most. Uh, you know, over my years in ministry, I had to deal with different kinds of, of addictions that I believe come out of, out of demonic work. I really do, and um, some of the addictions that you that you deal with, you know, move from marijuana and people whose eyes are red, and they're moving from that to things like meth and even heroin. Okay. If you've ever been around heroin, it's uh, something that people inject into their system, and uh, there's nothing beautiful about it. Seeing a person with a needle stuck in their arm and they're passed out and you're trying to help, you know, come in and intervene at that point in time. Nothing beautiful about it, okay? And you just sit there and you ask yourself, how did this person get to this place where they're willing to inject into their body this drug? Well, it didn't happen like that, right? It started off, what, slow. Try this, you're gonna like it. And the person gets high. And they go, wow, you know what? I kind of like that feeling because it's, it gives me an escape from this world. The pain that I'm in, the, the garbage that's going on, I can escape. Well, you liked that. I want you to try this. And all of a sudden that person one day decides, you know what? Um, I really like the feeling that I get and I'm not getting the high that I used to get over here and so I'm going to try this, this heroin. Have you ever had heroin? Anyone in here? I have, Uh, I was in the hospital, well, probably most of you have, it's actually synthetic heroin, it's manufactured, so they don't call it heroin, they call it Vicodin, and uh, when they shoot it into you, I had a kidney stone is what got me the uh, synthetic heroin, I remember I was like, oh man, I hurt so bad, and I was ready to, you have a kidney stone, that's not so good, right? Luther used to have a lot of those, right? You know, I always tell people, I'm being stoned from the inside out. <laughs> so I'm in the hospital. I'm like, I'm like, Luther, I'm dying. And so they take me back there, and this guy says, okay, we're going to put this line in you, and we're going to give you this drug. And he gives me this drug, and he comes back. He goes, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10. Starts off, scale of 1 to 10, how's your pain? I'm like, 15. <laughs> he gives me this drug. He comes back, what's your pain? level? I go, well, maybe about a 3. I feel really good now. And he goes, A 3? He goes, you have a three? And I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, okay, hang on a minute. He comes back and he has this little syringe and he goes, you're not going to have any pain anymore. And I'm not kidding you. He sticks that needle in there and goes, and it was instantaneous. (sighs) Wow. Mm. Heroin starts off feeling good. Total release from the world, Right. And so all of a sudden you meet this person and they're willing to inject this stuff into their body and you're like, how in the world did you get there? Well, this is, this is the beauty. We come and we portray this as, this is a beautiful thing. It's going to give you a, an escape from this world and all of a sudden it's just progressive. And that's how demons like to work against us. Whether it's an addiction or other, it never starts off looking bad. It always starts off looking what? This is going to be good for me. Methamphetamines. Meth users will tell you that when they're using meth, they feel like Superman. They can literally work for two or three days straight with no sleep because their body is fueled. And then they go, boom, and crash. And in all my ministry life, as I've worked with people that are are meth addicts, Uh, they will tell you. I think, Don, you shared this with me, one of the prisoners in in prison. I think you asked him the question, you know, would would you trade your freedom for meth when you get out? And the answer was yes. And you say to yourself, how in the world did you get there? Hair of a woman. The demons always come to us and they deceive us by putting something in front of us that looks beautiful, that looks right, that looks good. And all of a sudden we find ourselves... Stuck in something that is sick and horrible and begins to break us right that 's why that 's why they 're portraying the demons this way they 're like a locust, but not a locust. the face of a man intelligent, the hair of a woman, the crown of gold because they want to rule you, they want to rule you, and then the teeth are like a lion 's teeth because When you finally see them for who they are, back to Indiana Jones, that's how it started. Beautiful, and then all of a sudden, just like that. (sniffs) Terrifying. Their goal is to rip you apart. It's what we read today in 1 Peter chapter 5. Like a lion seeking to devour you. Here's what I know about demons. They won't stop until they completely own you. And completely destroy you their goal is to destroy every part of your life and so they're described this way they had breastplates like breastplates of iron they're resistant they don't give up easily when you come against them they don't just back away and say well better leave that one alone no they'll come back again and again and again watching for your weakness and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. In other words, what John is seeing is not like a demon, but chariots of demons, hordes of them. Now, this is kind of interesting, and I'm going to do a cross-reference for you, because I think this is important, this description of how, how they harm you. Verse okay? number 10 says, they have tails and stings like scorpions. And their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have tails like a scorpion. Okay, Let me ask you this question. In the New Testament, when you think about the way that Satan works against us, the way that he stings us, and you think of the word scorpion, is there a chapter of Scripture that quickly comes to your mind? Nope. <laughs> well, let me give you one. So it's not going to have you turn there. It's one that you guys have, have read hundreds of times before. But I want you to read it just a little bit differently today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a very familiar to you. Go all the way, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, let's go all the way over to, let's go to verse 50 and start there. Okay. By the way, uh, tell me where you hear these words read most often. Verse number 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This is a spiritual battle. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable, okay? I kind of like those words. I'll come back to them in a minute. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Um, We're kind of working right now on a new plan, right, for our nursery, here, kind of an upgrade to that and and make it a little bit stronger. This is the verse from Scripture that I want to have put over our nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great nursery verse, isn't it? Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. It says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall all be changed. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. One of the beautiful things about the resurrection is when it occurs, and your body comes out of the grave, you, you can't live forever in the body that you have right now. It's it's a broken body, right? Since the fall of of Adam, all of our bodies bear brokenness within them down to down to the cellular level. And so for us to live forever in eternity, we have to have new bodies. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about when he says this perishable, these broken bodies must put on the imperishable. What he's saying is you're going to get a new body. It'll be like the body that you have today, except made perfect. No fault in it. All the way through to the cellular level. Right? And most of us are thinking, that's a good thing. We're going to get a new body. Right? Verse 53 says, Perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass this saying that is written. Okay? Remember Jesus said there's a lot of enemies in this world. The very last enemy that will be defeated is death. And so here's the quote. Death is swallowed up in victory. Now, tell me about this. When do you hear these words read? 55. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When do you hear those words read? Funeral service, right? Quite often you're at a gravesite, and there's a body in front of you and a preacher opens up his Bible and he says death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting now let me give you the Greek word for that word sting in your English Bible ready for it Scorpizomai. my scorpion okay so the question is how do demons sting you the answer is in verse 56 the sting of death is sin. That's how a demon stings you. A demon cannot cause you to do anything, right? But the demon is smart, face of a man. Brings to you an opportunity, beautiful like the hair. Desire to rule you by bringing you into a place where you do what? I begin to sin against God. When I sin against God, look what, look what Paul says. In verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. What does the law do? If I sin and I'm not with faith, I'm outside of faith, it places me, what? Fully under the law. And guess what the law does? Judges me guilty of eternal death. Demons know where they're going to spend eternity. Separated from God. Their goal is to do what? Same thing in your life. How do they sting you is through a deception that leads you into sin that destroys your life in the present and separates you for eternity. That is the goal of a demon. And what's happening is demons are at work right now and they are seeking to do exactly this. Bring you into a place where you not only sin but you come under the law of God outside of relying upon Jesus Christ because the minute you no longer rely upon Jesus Christ, boom, you're separated from him for eternity. That's their goal. What what John is seeing is the demons today are under authority. They can only do so much. Now, all of a sudden, for a period of time, we're going to unloose that and we're going to allow the demons greater power when it comes to deceiving people and torturing them. What happens is people get stuck in sin and they find their lives being shattered and exactly what John wrote comes to pass. They find themselves saying, I'd rather be dead than alive this way. But death will elude them. Death will elude them. And so that's what, that's what John is describing here is this unlooshing of the authority that the demons are under to the extent that they are able more and more to bring those who are outside of the faith to a place of separation and destruction. Now, flip back over to the Revelation and pick up the words that are used of the king who is king over these demons. Verse 11. I kind of find these words interesting. They have as a king over them The angel of the bottomless pit. Who would that be? Satan. Satan. Interesting side note. Locusts. Locusts are one of the few creatures on earth that have no natural leader. You know that? When I love to watch the birds fly here in Grand Island, you'll always notice there's a a lead bird, right? Now they'll switch places. Next lead bird. Um, If you've ever had to deal with ants in your house, (laughs) <laughs> you know one time we had these big old carpenter ants in our house the exterminator came and he looked and he went mmm and I went that doesn't sound good that sounds like it's going to cost a lot of money <laughs> he's like yeah he says well these ants you really, we'll spray them and we'll kill them but they'll just keep eating your house and coming in your house until we find the queen we find the queen we can take them out, and sure enough, I mean, found that queen. That queen was big old mama. Once the queen was dead, guess what? Ants are gone, just like that. Locusts have no king. These are not locusts. These are demons, and they have a king. And notice his words are his names. I think this is interesting. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. In Greek, he is called Apollyon. Right. So I kind of made made a couple of notes for myself. Uh, whenever I think about who, who the king is, um, I think a little bit about these names that he's given. And the names are kind of interesting. We like to refer to him as, as Satan or the devil. All right, so Satan, if you literally translate it into English, you know what it means? Adversary. Okay. Devil, if you literally translate it in English, means accuser. And if you put those two together, two most common English words form, the devil is an accusing adversary. It's actually a courtroom word. So he would be the prosecuting attorney. Back to the way the demons sting you. When we die, we're in a court of law, Right? It's not kind of like, well, Jesus kind of loves you and he... No. You're in a court of law and you're on trial and everything you've done in your life is now put in front of the judge, right? If I'm under the law outside of faith in Jesus Christ, guess what? I'm stung because I have failed and I am judged guilty outside of the faith. By who? The prosecuting attorney stands in front of God and says this one sinned this one sinned against you look at all the mass of sin now that same prosecuting attorney will be present when we are judged how about this one how about Luke (whistles) have I got a case against Luke this one sinned this one sinned mightily against you when we are under faith in Jesus Christ guess what the judge says I can't see anything I see none, no sin, none at all. Why? Because we are covered completely by the life and work of Jesus Christ who completed the law on our behalf with perfection. And the judge says, not guilty, right? So accusing attorney, think of the devil that way. He wants to sting you, how? By deceiving you, putting you under sin and the law, okay? Jesus wants to free you from that through his blood. These other two names are kind of interesting. We don't use these as often. Most people don't run around calling the devil Abaddon or Apollyon, but they are interesting words. Here's what they mean. Abaddon literally means ruin, the ruiner. That's what is after. I want to ruin your life. Okay. Um, the second word, Apollyon, destroyer. And that's what the two words mean: is this this demon, this fallen angel, says, "I want to accuse you of sin, and I want to use that sin to literally ruin and destroy your life." Okay. I think about this sometimes in the world of of psychology and um, and counseling, uh, outside of of Christian counseling, there's a lot of good theorists that have have come and and put some some good tools into the hands of counselors when it comes to you know addressing some of the things that go on in our lives that just mess us up. But the one thing that, that counselors don't have in front of them when they're dealing with a human being is the reality that that human being is not just physical and not just emotional. They are a spiritual being. And I really do believe that a lot of the messes that happen in our lives you can attribute them to the work of a destroying, ruining, fallen angel. They're constantly at work in our lives. That's their goal, is to find those places of weakness and to tear us down. And so I think about this all the time, is here's what the enemy is after. Here's what it means to be sealed. It means that there's a spirit of God in you that is battling against those fallen demons, and that places us under the blood of Jesus Christ okay now the worst words that you hear the worst words that you hear in this whole section is verse number 12 the first woe has passed behold two woes are still to come isn't that lovely wonderful news I mean if you're John you're saying to yourself that was the first one Please don't blow any more trumpets. I mean, these trumpets, they sound nice, they're good, they're shiny. Don't blow them, whatever you do. Well, guess what? They're going to get blown. And the sixth angel, verse 13, blew his trumpet. This one scares me. It really does, because when I read it, I think about what will it mean to be alive during that half a time. Well, during the first portion of it, Demons are unleashed. The goal is to ruin people's lives. God's goal is to find that person in that, in that mess of a ruin and reach down through Jesus Christ and say, let me be your hope. That's his desire. Okay. This, this next section paints a picture that we've never seen before, but it will occur during that last period of time. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. Okay, now, now go back and remember. We've seen this altar before, right? It symbolically takes us back into the temple or the tabernacle. What is happening on that altar? Sacrifices. What in the past have we seen under the altar? Remember? Remember? Souls. Whose souls? Martyrs. Martyrs. What are they crying out? Vengeance. Vengeance. How long, O oh Lord, how long before you avenge our blood? Guess what the answer is? It's right here. Right now, I avenge your blood. And part of what hap- begins to happen in this last period of time is now the unleashing of demons not only to harm and torment and seek to ruin people, but to do what? Just watch. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Release, if you look at the Greek word behind it, Luthon is to loose them, let them loose. Okay. These four angels, why four? Okay remember when you take the number four it stands for earth there are four corners of earth so the four angels have been keeping the earth from what's getting ready to be released now release release the four angels who are bound they're tied up okay In other words, they are under authority of God. They can only go so far. They can pull against their binds, but they can only go so far. Now we're saying, unleash those binds. In other words, I'm going to authorize these demons to do more than they have ever done before. Why the great river Euphrates? Remember where the Euphrates is located? It's representative of that place from which come the enemy of God, right? Assyria. Babylon all come from where the Euphrates and so it's just being used as a symbol here to say the enemy of God these these demonic forces that have been under his authority we're now loosening that authority even more than we loosen the authority in the first trumpet that blew now the second trumpet blows how bad can it get well look at verse 15 so the four angels and I love these words who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released. All of this is in God's plan. God's just looking at his watch. It's like, okay, it's a half a time now. Unleash. Okay, it's the second part of the half a time now. Release the four. The four angels are released, they have been prepared for this. Now, it shows you how much demons are even underneath the authority of God. That He will use them. Okay? Have we seen this in the past? Oh, yeah, all through the, the entire Old Testament. Every single time that God would bring Israel to their knees, remember how he would do it? He would use a foreign pagan king. And you would say, God, why why are you using a pagan? because I'm going to bring people to their knees. Now I'm authorizing these angels to do what? To kill a third of mankind. Never in history. Ever. Since we've been on planet Earth, have demons been allowed to kill a person. Ever. A demon can tempt you to that place and ruin you to that place where you will seek to kill yourself. Over my years of ministry, been there many, many times, unfortunately. And there's nothing that I can do to wash it out of my head. Nothing. Nothing. When you walk into a room and there's a 22-year-old kid laying on the ground in a puddle of blood because he took his parents' gun and shot himself between the eyes, that didn't go away from you. When you, on Christmas Day, walk into the living room of a home and you see a Christmas tree and all the gifts wrapped up underneath that Christmas tree, not a one of them opened. Because the family is sitting on the couch, buried in tears, and in the room next door is the young lady who took pills on Christmas Eve and took her life. That never goes out of your head. And unfortunately, as a pastor, those things are stuck inside of me the number of times that I've walked into that situation and recognized that a demon didn't kill that person, but definitely were involved in bringing that person to a place where their life felt ruined where they said to themselves, it's hopeless. I give up, I quit. Not even God can help me, and they take their life. And I think to myself, that damn devil has been at work here, but he cannot kill. Not yet, but in the second half of the half a time, <gasps> unleashed. Not to kill a few men, but a third of mankind. And so what we'll experience if you were alive on planet Earth during this period of time is you'll literally see people who are caused by demons to kill themselves and some who are killed. And I have no idea what this is going to look like in the newspaper because the newspaper doesn't even recognize the spiritual realm but there will be people who end up dead because a demon killed them, took their life. And these demons are prepared for In other words, God right now, today, is saying, I've got them ready, the four. I'm going to unleash them. And they're going to kill many men. The purpose of it is what? God hates men? No. The purpose of it is to bring about repentance on planet Earth before the very end comes. The reason that you see this escalation is because God is watching His watch. He says, I'm getting ready to blow the trumpet the last trumpet, the trumpet. When I blow that trumpet, it's late, too late. It's done, it's over. And so there's an escalation of seeking to bring people to a place where they are so broken that they cry out, Dear God, help me. That's why we're seeing it escalate. All right, let's stop there. Lord God.